Hi, I'm Alicia Mitchell. I'm not a therapist, a pastor, a coach, or an expert. I'm just a friend who has a lot of feelings. Feelings about faith, relationships, church hurt, and other messy topics we all tend to have messy feelings about. I feel the most strongly about encouraging others to live a whole and healed, purposeful life of freedom in Jesus Christ, and I truly believe that part of that process includes addressing our very real feelings. If you were to come over to my home and sit on my couch, I would hand you a frothy cup of coffee and a blanket, and I would ask you how you were doing, how you were really doing. On the feelings couch, we're not going to do the small talk thing. We're here to do the friendship thing, the real thing. Couches aren't the place for small talk. They're the place for deep, authentic soul talk. They're the place where feelings are felt, not ignored, where truth is spoken, and where important work is done. Welcome to the feelings couch. Your feelings are safe here. Let's sit with them for a little while. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Feelings Couch podcast. I'm super excited to be back with you. I took a couple weeks off, um, was out of town, and life was just crazy and busy for a couple weeks. So I appreciate your patience and I'm excited about today's episode. It'll be a little bit of a mismatch episode, um, some Q&A at the end I'm hoping to get to, um, still continuing our conversation on spiritual abuse. Uh, if you haven't listened to the prior episodes that I put out on spiritual abuse, um, there's one about identifying and naming it, and then we talked about accepting and addressing spiritual abuse, and then for the last episode we talked about healing, grieving, and the F word, which is forgiveness. So a lot about forgiveness in that last episode. If you haven't listened to those, I suggest that you do go back and listen in order of when they were recorded and released. Um, it'll just give you more context for everything that we're talking about today. Um, today, I wanted to share a little bit about um, talking about going back to church in the midst of um, still healing and maybe just kind of that process, a little bit about what I look for in a church now after having gone through spiritual abuse and um, kind of what criteria is important to me. Um, I want to touch on misunderstandings about church woundings for if you're the person who is listening that you're just like, I haven't gone through this and I don't really understand what this is, what the big deal is. I kind of want to dig a little bit deeper into that. Um, and then kind of answer some of these really good questions that I had, um, received from some of you guys. So, and eventually I want to do a podcast. If you guys are interested, uh, DM me on Instagram and let me know. Um, I kind of want to do a podcast touching on these like hot stories about church scandals (laughs) that are going on and they're in the public eye, um, I listened to the Christianity Today Mars Hill Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast months ago when it came out, and I have a lot of thoughts about that. And then this Hillsong documentary, I know a lot of people are talking about it. I have not watched it yet. I'm wary of it, and um, I think a little bit naturally more defensive of Hillsong because of how they really shaped my faith growing up and um worship ministry and all of that. So, um, but I, but I know there's some, some truth to some of the things. I don't know about all of the things, but some of the things, anyway, I was thinking about watching that so that I can do an episode kind of breaking down 
my thoughts on those types of things. So let me know if you're interested in hearing about that from the perspective that we've been talking about, which is um, that, you know, spiritual abuse is important to talk about and to call out as far as um, so that people can know it's not okay and they can heal and grow and move forward and be free, um, but also from the perspective of loving the church and loving God and being committed to his kingdom, his view of the church. So, but yeah, to go ahead and dive in, I know that whenever I talk about spiritual abuse and, you know, then talk about um, all the criteria of it and all of the harmful things that it does and uh, red flags and the ways to see it, um, if you've experienced that, you know, the next step for a lot of people when they realize that that has been their story is to leave their current church body, uh, the abusive church body. Um, and so that comes with a lot of hardship, um, loneliness, and just hurt and everything, you know, reeling from post-abuse and and then feeling like you've lost your community and all of that. And for some people, it can be really hard, depending on the levels of abuse and, and, and what really it all entailed, it can be really hard to just get back into going to church. Um, so some people take time off. I know that I, we did, it wasn't even super intentionally that we did, but we were on a church staff and then we weren't, and then we left this church and we lived in a different city than we had, you know, grown up and we had only moved there for this church to be a part of that church. So we just kind of took some months, I guess, um, watching church services online, just kind of being in our own home, um, and kind of just processing. The thing is, it's, I know it's really easy to, when you don't understand what this looks like to say, well, people need to be in church. They need to obey the Bible when it says, do not forsake the gathering of believers. Um, you know, they need to push past the awkwardness. They need to, they need to come to church. Well, Yes, I believe the church is important, and obviously, this is why I have these conversations, because I believe there is so much beauty in the church and purpose, but there may be a time where you need to just kind of step back and heal and address some things and just kind of breathe again, and that's not to say to walk away entirely or... um just kind of wall off from the church. But for some people, it may be necessary to have a little bit of space. Um, or it may be necessary to just go somewhere without the intention of getting involved for a little while um, and just being poured into, just sitting in the seats and coming and attending and not serving. That's okay too, depending on wherever you're at. Um, we kind of went from one extreme abusive situation to um, being a part of a church staff again at a church that was not abusive at all, but was ended up being a, another difficult situation, still sort, sort of hurtful, you know, because people are messy and things happen and we weren't fully healed. Um, so, and, but just being, you know, 
it tends to be the people who are the most involved at a church that are the most susceptible to wounding and abuse. So it's hard when you are that kind of person, whether you are on staff or in ministry, volunteer or on staff, whatever. Um, it was a big part of your life. So it's really hard to go back to a new church and hold yourself back and not be a part of those things that, you know, without the harmful sides um, effects that you've experienced, you, there's parts of it you really love and there's parts of it you feel really called to. So it's really hard to kind of sit and not give of your time and your gifts or anything for a time, but but you may need to do that depending on where you're at. So I'm not sharing all of this to make you feel rushed into a church. Um, I just know that we really were created to do life within the context of community. I know that might even be somewhat of a triggering thing to hear because so many churches use that as their kind of tagline these days, but it is true. And even if the church you've been a part of hasn't done that true community well, I believe that God does have a beautiful design for it. Um, so with everything I'm sharing today, I do want to be clear about the hope is not follow these steps and you'll never see or experience abuse again in a church context. Sadly, human nature is such that I can't make that promise this side of heaven. I can't promise you you won't be hurt again, but I do believe there is a way to become almost unabusable. I hope that doesn't sound arrogant or insensitive, and it's not a solution I'm going to rush you to. It won't come about by walling yourself off from others so that you're never hurt again. But there's a confidence that comes with a consistent and deep relationship with God and having walked through the entire process of healing. And I believe this strength and confidence is the evidence of the Holy Spirit's power in you. Thankfully, I had a relationship with the Lord for a long time before I went through spiritual abuse. So I felt like I had a solid foundation with him. I feel like my parents raised me to know the basics, know the word. Um, I feel like I had an encounter with God and being filled with the Holy Spirit when I was like eight years old and have just always had um, just a faith in and knowing that he was with me and that he was real. Um, and I had really good church experiences for the first 25 years of my life, um, but I was also naive in the area of boundaries with spiritual leaders and I wrestled with people pleasing. I experienced fear in the way my speaking up and expressing concerns would affect others. You know, in the first beginning years of our um, church abuse history, I was worried about how it would affect my husband's job and our income, that kind of thing. And people pleasing was something I really had to wrestle with. Um, and there's a memory that I think about often from a moment years ago that's kind of shaped my view of how I look at church now. Um, the church staff I was on had just gone to a conference and one of our volunteers that was riding in the back of the van we were in started declaring his undying loyalty and commitment to our pastor who was driving. He had asked us, you know, what did you guys get out of this conference and wanted us to kind of share things that God had spoke to us over the weekend. And um, this guy just started kind of proclaiming, you know, man, all I know is I'm 100% committed to you. Whatever happens, whatever you do, I'll always have your back. You're my ride or die. I'm all in. 
and just kind of going on and on. And this is like, I mean, this is a really awesome person, like grown man, not like someone that was just trying to suck up or I don't know. It wasn't just a a kid looking up to this pastor or trying to, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it was someone that I didn't expect it to come out of. But this guy was just kind of declaring this undying loyalty and commitment. And I'll never forget the pastor just laughing and clearly just being overjoyed and impressed and thanking him and then telling the rest of us in the van that, you know, all the rest of what we had to share sucked and that he wanted to hear that from all of us, you know, because he wants to know that we're in this with him. (laughs) And I recall my husband and I making quick eye contact, both of us quickly turning to stare out the window to ignore that awkward moment. I just remember it not sitting well with me. But we do this so often, even if it's not with our blatant words. We declare our undying loyalty to a leader or to a church body because we're all in, right? And that that can't be a bad thing. But here's the thing. While I love the church I'm a part of currently, my loyalty is to God and God alone. I'm no longer ever going to be ride or die for a specific church community quote unquote, no matter what happens, or a specific pastor, no matter what happens, because that's just a man. And that's just a community that is, you know, yes, the goal is for it to be led by God through this person. But it at the end of the day, it is being led by a man who is not infallible. And, you know, I'm ride or die for Jesus. I'm ride or die for his global church, for the kingdom. I'm not ride or die for a specific sect of a specific denomination anymore. And I don't want you to hear that as a hopelessness. That's, that's, it's been a maturity for me. It's been a contentment for me that I, I don't have this unreachable, unmeetable expectation for my church that, um, that, you know, every single thing they ever decide I'm going to line up with 100% or every single thing I'm going to shout from the rooftops as it was, you know, as if it was just ordained by God. And, you know, I'm going to be that way about Jesus and about how he is in my life. And will he use the church? 100%. That is, if I can tell you anything, it's that God will use church people to heal wounds caused by church people. And I've seen him do that in my life, and I've seen him do that in the lives of people I know, and so I know that to be true. But I think when we're talking about going back to church communities after having been wounded and wanting things to be different, and how do we how do we do that differently? I think our expectations and our sense of spiritual order and authority and all of that, I think it really matters and is really... Um, I just think it's really important for when you're going back into a church community and trying to kind of rebuild what it looks like to be a part of um, an institution that, yeah, it's likely laid out similarly to the one that wounded you unless you're maybe switching denominations or I'm not even going to get into all of that, but um, it likely will look similar in different aspects and there might be things that easily trigger you because of past wounds words that were said or used against you things that that may bring up some some old feelings so you just have to be 
ready for that. But I think that's a way to do that is, is to not look at every church you go to as the thing that's going to fix you or the thing that will never hurt you or disappoint you, if that makes sense. Um, because at the end of the day, I don't believe there's a single church that that someone has not been hurt in ever. <laughs> I think because people are people. I think there is always, unfortunately, hurt on this side of heaven. That doesn't mean there has to be abuse. That doesn't mean there is always a culture of abuse. And I, I fully, truly believe that not every church has a culture of abuse. But in a lot of ways, we have normalized some of the things that um, have created cultures of abuse or tend to make them um, make churches a slippery slope towards the potential of becoming abusive. So some tangible things that you can look for in a church. Um, number one, this may seem super obvious, but if you go through the list of red flags that I have um, talked about in previous podcast episodes or on my website, aliciamitchell.com, it will help you get a sense of the culture that you're looking to find the opposite of. <laughs> um, some of those things you might not necessarily see when you are just a person visiting a new church and you know, you're not seeing behind the scenes, that kind of thing. But some of it does translate more, especially after you've gone through something like this, your senses are a little bit, a little bit more heightened. Um, but definitely, I mean, you're going to want to see as much humility as possible. And I know there's such thing as false humility, but typically if you can view how the lead pastor or anyone in authority treats those around them that are in lesser positions, um, or even just the way that they speak from the stage, if they have a humility about them versus an arrogance about them, um, a servanthood about them versus kind of trying to assert their own authority or, um, you know, I feel like you can just kind of tell after you've, after you've experienced leadership like this, there's, there's a bit of a difference. Um, and then I would say one of my like non-negotiables now are when you look out at a church body, um, you, someone's, a friend of mine's mom said this one time and I had never thought of it this way, but she told her when she was talking about a young church that she had just been going to where there was a lot of young families, it was a new church plant and a lot of young people, her mom said, you're going to want to see white hair there. You're going to want to see gray hair. And I think that's such wisdom is part of my, one of my favorite things about the body of Christ is the difference in ages, um, let alone backgrounds and all of the other differences. But the difference in ages can be such a gift to just look around and have grandmas and grandpas and people in their, you know, middle aged and young people having babies and I think there's just so much to be learned from the different generations that we can all teach each other things, but also there's an accountability to be had when there's 
people who have been walking with God for a long time in the congregation. So I think that um, that is a, a need, honestly. Um, if you live in a city like me, um, I can't, I guess I'm not supposed to call Virginia the South, but it does feel like the South and we kind of claim it. <laughs> Um, as a bit of the Bible Belt, it does feel like there's just a smorgasbord of options that uh, there's churches all over the place and it might be overwhelming. Like, where do I begin? Um, Where do I visit first? Um, And, you know, I feel like a few years ago, I would have suggested to go to the church websites and read their statement of faith and what they believe and all those things and definitely do that. Um, you can do that with a grain of salt because obviously everybody puts their prettiest, most polished, best foot forward on um, web pages these days. So it's much easier to put things down on paper. And it's probably the best thing to actually walk into a building and tangibly kind of sense and discern um, what kind of community it is and what kind of culture there is there. Um, And yeah, here's the thing is you can't, you're probably not going to make a perfect choice and find the perfect church because like I said, they are made of people who are far from perfect and perfect might not exist (laughs) on this side of heaven. Um, But at the end of the day, if you find somewhere that you are theologically aligned with and you go and you visit and you feel like the pastor is humble and um, another big thing is you can tell that there really is an accountability structure lined up as far as eldership or however that breaks down in your own denomination. Um, that's obviously really important. Um, I I think it's just different for everybody. There's going to be certain things that, depending on the church that you were wounded at, there's going to be things you are more adverse to. Um, I know that when I walked away from my church, I had a, a an aversion to young church plants for a while. And it's not to say that all young church plants are bad or abusive, but that's what the one that I went to um, was. And so I tend tended to just kind of um, not want to go to another church plant that met in a school because <laughs> it was like too close to home. But um but yeah, you just, you know, discern and and go through what you can find out about this church. But also, I, I do think, like I said, you do kind of have to get in, in person and get to know people and see um, see what's going on. But I think a big, a big thing that may be helpful is that if you go to a new church and are able to have a conversation with a pastor um, at that church, if you can kind of open up about some of your concerns and about your past experiences and kind of gauge their reaction, I think, I know a lot of what I'm telling you is discernment-based. That's because a lot of what I feel um, the healing process does is re-strengthens your ability to trust your discernment and you know as the Lord heals you and you start to relearn truth and um, regain confidence in Christ after having your 
your faith be kind of shaken is that your discernment gets strengthened. Um, and so a lot of that is just trusting the Holy Spirit in you when you're going into a new church community community. But if you can have a conversation like this with someone and gauge their reactions, um, if a pastor or leader is defensive of the other pastor that he doesn't even know, dismissive of your concerns or, um, defensive, anything like that, I would say that that's maybe a red flag. Um, if they listen and understand and make you feel welcome and at home and heard, I think that that's a good sign. Um, obviously none of these are the end all be all perfect ways to find the best church possible, but hopefully some of this is helpful. Um, Lastly, kind of reiterating with the humility piece, but just character in general is what you're going to look for. If you want to look and see that the fruits of the Spirit are being shown within the staff and whoever is leading, um, even the congregation itself, that it it's a church that looks like it's bearing good fruit in the community, that it is being led by a pastor who does meet the qualifications for um, leadership that are in the Bible and those kind of things. Um, and yes, I, I, like I said, I won't get into denomination and theology because I realize a lot of people listening, we all have maybe different um, denominations or different preferences, that kind of thing. So these are just things that I know that I've learned to look for and I We'll probably think of some more. If I do, I'll put them together in an Instagram post if that's helpful. Um, but do want to move on to a couple other things for the rest of this episode before I get into the Q&A section. I did want to say, like I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode, something really quick to those of you that might be listening who might say, you know, hey, I am a pastor or I'm on staff at a church or I've been in the church my whole life and I don't really know what you're talking about. I don't feel like spiritual abuse is easily definable or sometimes I feel like it's not really a real thing that people are just accusing these leaders of doing this. Maybe I just don't get it. Maybe you're just saying I just don't get it. And I just want you to know it's the kind of thing sadly that is really hard to get until you go through it. And I think that most of us listening to this would agree with that. Um, I think many of us listening who have had our own spiritual abuse experiences might have had um, kind of checks in our spirit before we knew for sure that it wasn't a healthy atmosphere or what was happening wasn't okay. Maybe you had someone who had told you about a time they had been abused um, and you didn't believe them because you were like, well, it hasn't happened to me and we have the same pastor, we go to the same church. Again, like I said, it's really hard to understand until it goes and happens to you. Um, But what I would like to say to you is thank you for listening anyway. Thank you for being here anyway. And I just would ask you to, um, to, to just know this. So I think that sometimes what can happen is if, especially if you have a, um, you know, if your family member is a pastor or you've just had that, that church kid context, you likely have seen church hurt happen from 
church people to the pastors to the leadership and that is a hundred percent a thing that happens i have seen i've seen it happen all those ways but um i can't remember if i said this in a last episode already i apologize if i'm repeating myself but the thing about church hurt and church abuse is that church hurt can happen all over the place (laughs) But church abuse, abuse can only happen from someone who's in a power dynamic or in a leadership position down. And so I think that when abuse happens, it's often from the person who was meant to have a spiritual leadership position of authority over someone manipulates that position of authority to cause them harm or to use them for their own gain or to belittle or um, abuse them and um, so it just can be really shaky and painful and messes with people's faith and their worth and identity and value and because it's in the context of a church community because it's in a spiritual context it messes with their view of God, their view of themselves, all of that. So it is a serious thing. And I know that sometimes you may have seen it called out harshly or called out um, cruelly and, and not in the best way. And so I think that can cause pastors and leaders to be overly defensive sometimes because they are afraid of being wounded themselves. But I think that sometimes... Um, there are leaders that forget the power that they have in their position and the power that they have over people in the spiritual authority context. And so I think it's good to remember how much your words matter, how much your actions matter towards people who are in your care, in your flock, all of that. Um, And just kind of know that what you're doing matters and the way that you shepherd matters and can really, um, really positively or negatively influence the people that you are leading. Okay, do you want to get to some of these questions? So I'll try not to be so long-winded on these um, because I know each of these could be potentially made into a whole nother podcast episode. So um, we will gauge that going forward if there's more information that you guys want to hear on any of these things. Um, The first question that I got was, what does healthy discipleship look like? This person says, I hate the word discipleship because in the church I came from, having a disciple was like a notch in your belt. People often used disciples to get service, free babysitting, house cleaning, etc. Men were not considered ready for marriage until they discipled someone. There were a lot of personal opinions involved and spiritual abuse was rampant. Yeah. Okay. So... This is one of those like trigger things I was talking about. Um, I I get this too because I also sort of have a trigger word with discipleship. Um, but I guess what you want to do is look at um, kind of the root of the issue, right? The root of the issue isn't necessarily discipleship. It's the culture that 
interpreted discipleship to be something where you can use people or that it was kind of used as a one-upping each other or not notch in your belt. Um, it was the motivation for discipleship that was the issue, um, which then translated to discipleship that likely wasn't even the biblical point of discipleship. It likely doesn't actually look like spiritual um, discipleship and spiritual mentoring, but more so uh, just a kind of power dynamic, I guess, um, of, you know, you're my disciple and I guess you have to do what I say, that kind of thing. I'm um, just assuming here. But so you want to look at what is discipleship supposed to look like? Number one, I do think there is a way to have healthy discipleship, but I do think it's also important to remember that all of us are disciples of Jesus, that the main point of discipleship is to point us to the one we are all following, which is Jesus Christ, not this certain person, leader, spiritual leader. At the end of the day, I guess I'm also a little bit wary of the term discipleship being used in this light because I know it's subjective and there's lots of different um, churches and um, discipleship kind of strategies or programs or different ways that people can do it that I think could be biblical and could be healthy as long as there's the right boundaries in place and the um, understanding that you're not more or less based on your level of who's discipling who and that kind of thing. Um, I think that personally, I just have to say that the people that have discipled me the best in my life spiritually have been those who never called it that, (laughs) have just been those who have simply lived a godly life, who have been of good character and have been consistent and a consistent encouraging voice um, that has led me back to Jesus over and over again in my life. I think those have been the people that have done discipleship the best, not when it's just a program that I've followed to the letter and quote unquote graduated from or, um, yeah, I don't think that it's, yeah, it's not often being a a notch in someone's belt, (laughs) but yeah, I think that my thought for this would be to just kind of dig into on your own and study what discipleship really looks like. But in the Bible, it was, you know, we're disciples of Jesus and we are all called to go and make disciples. So yes, I think that's a a multiplication thing. Um, But I think it it can definitely be tricky, um, especially described like it was here in this question. I guess to wrap that up is I don't think you can call something discipleship when it's not centered around spiritual formation and um, just spiritual growth. I feel like discipleship is really just someone who is learning more and more about Jesus and growing in um, in their ability to know what they believe, share what they believe, live what they believe. And, um, and that might look different in different contexts. It might look like mentoring or, um, just being a leader or just pouring into the generation behind you, that kind of thing. But I think that discipleship should be 
more of an even playing field of we're all disciples of Jesus Christ. And I probably could keep going on that. And if you guys want uh, more of a deep dive on discipleship, let me know. Okay, the next question says, my question is about church staff. Why is it that church staff are usually families with many members of the family working for the church and being paid high salaries? Doesn't that help them avoid being truly held accountable for how tithes are spent or salary raises? My old church had this issue, and when questions were asked, people were ostracized from the church. Um, man, this is hard because there's not a lot of hard and fast, uh, like, I don't know the full context. I don't know all of the, all of the facts here. Um, I would say that it, just looking at this context wouldn't be an abusive situation. It could obviously be more of a moral situation, but that just depends on all of the details that I probably don't have from this question. Um, I would say this is just where eldership accountability comes in and you hope and trust that um, whatever is being done with the money is um, is done with, you know, good intentions and the right heart and all of that. Um, it's hard. I don't know. I don't know that I have a great answer for that. Um, obviously, when questions were asked, people were ostracized from the church is the part that I focus on the most. I hate that. I hate that people can't ask questions and hold people accountable. Um, I do think that's important to be able to do that. And I, you know, I don't know how the best way of doing that is. You would hope that you could go directly to the, um, the person in charge and just raise your concerns and, and have them taken seriously. Um, but unfortunately I know a lot of a lot of churches don't take super kindly. I shouldn't say a lot of churches. Abusive churches definitely don't take kindly to questions, especially about money or anything that would question uh, decisions of the leader. Um, but even some churches that aren't abusive, I think they can just be naturally defensive over questions like this because um, I think they just get nervous or don't really know how to handle them well. Um, so I apologize that that happened to you. Um, I would just really pray about how to take steps on that. If you're in that position, um, how to bring that to the right person. Um, next question is if someone shares their experience of abuse with you, should you continue attending that church if it hasn't happened to you? Oh, this is the million dollar question that I always get. Um, I don't think we should, should ourselves, should each other um, on these hypothetical situations. I know that it's really hard. I just, I have a lot of grace for the people who didn't leave the church that I left, um, even after knowing all the horrible things that happened. And at first I know that... I was hurt and I felt like they, you know, may not have been as loyal as I thought they were to me or didn't feel like I could be as close friends with them as before because they kind of chose 
aside against me, um, not in that exact sense, but that's how it felt um, at that time. But I think it just depends on a lot of uh, context. So if someone shares their experience of abuse with you, I think your responsibility is to um, sit with them, let them feel, grieve with them, cry with them, um, remind them of what's true, remind them of what's not okay, separating the fact that you may know who did it or who didn't, like taking that separately um, and just helping that person with their hurt because that's what that's what matters in that moment if that's someone who is sharing their story with you. Um, and then I think what you do is pray about it. And I think you, uh, if you have the ability to go to someone who you can talk to about it, if this person can't talk to someone because likely if they were abused, they um, likely don't have someone to talk to about it in a healthy way. And maybe they don't even go to the church anymore. But if there's someone in trusted leadership that you are able to talk to on behalf of this person, then I do think you can do that with the with the authority and confidence of someone who is not currently being abused but may have their guard up a little bit to the potential abuse that could be happening based on the person they know and their story. Um, I know I'm not trying to be cryptic. I'm trying to be careful with my words because it's just, that's why I have these podcast episodes and blog posts and Instagram posts about this topic because it is a nuanced subject and it's all based around people, which are constant moving targets of you know, needing the full context and the full story to discern the exact right thing to do in each situation. But I do think we have a responsibility as believers to help uphold um, that things are being done right and well and by the word of God in our churches. I do believe that's a responsibility. I don't think that we're supposed to you know, I think we're supposed to be shepherded, but I don't think that means we have to be blind sheep. I think we can be wise. We have the same Bible that pastors have. We have the same Holy Spirit in us that a pastor has or a leader has. And so we can cultivate um, that depth of relationship with God where we have a strong discernment and um, an ability to kind of weed out um, lies from truth and learn who we can trust and who um, we need to call higher. I think that's important to do that. But I wouldn't want to say a blanket statement of, yes, leave that church if someone you know is telling you they've been abused, because I think that could be open for to so many potential problems. Um, but I don't want to say no either, because there are some times where I think that is enough to get you to leave a church. So my answer is yes and no. Um, and I apologize for all of you black and white rule followers and clear thinkers <laughs> that hate answers like that. But that's kind of the subject that we're in. Um, 
I think at the end of the day, your responsibility is to um, mourn with those who mourn and um, grieve with those who grieve and help people through these things and also see what yours is to do as far as what can I do to um, uphold truth? What can I do to help point to justice or, um, you know, not going around accusing everyone of everything, but but how can I wisely discern and take action um, in this situation? And so I would say, like I said, if there's someone that you can go to that is a trusted leader um, and attempt to bring light to what happened or attempt for there to be a resolution, um, I think that's I think that's a good thing to do. And I think our biggest responsibility is to not cut off the person who is hurt. I think as people in the church, if you sense that, you know, I do think so-and-so messed up in this situation, I don't stand by their behavior, but I don't know that God is telling me to leave the church yet. Maybe he's not. Maybe you're supposed to stick it out. Maybe it's not. Maybe you're only supposed to be there for a short time longer, and maybe it's not the time yet. I don't know. Maybe you are. Maybe you're supposed to be there. But... I think regardless, we have a responsibility to not ostracize and isolate and shun the people who um, leave our church communities wounded because I feel like that is just a crappy way to love our brothers and sisters. Um, so I think if if you have if you get anything else out of this, <laughs> just let it be the reminder that we are in the kingdom of God. We are not in a cult. And when someone leaves our specific church, that doesn't mean we um, take sides. It doesn't mean we um, ice them out and have to stop being their friend. (laughs) It's really childish and it's a big pet peeve. Anyway. um, Okay. So the last question that I wanted to address in this episode is um, the question how to overcome being gaslit. I think we've talked about gaslighting a little bit on the podcast, but if not, um, you've probably heard this term. I feel like it's been really being overused a lot recently, um, which there's a good and bad. I think it's good that people are learning more about what it is and how to call it out. And I think that on the bad side, it's now being like used in all kinds of contexts, which it's is not the meaning of gaslighting. But anyway, um, kind of to try and define gaslighting, it's a type of manipulation. It's a very specific type of manipulation and lying um, to make someone feel or appear crazy, basically, and to cause someone to doubt their own reality or um, cause others to doubt uh, that this person, the victim of gaslighting, is being truthful or sane. Um, It comes from a movie, I believe, about, I don't know if it's called The Gaslight. Um, It's from an old movie where there was a husband and wife character, and every day the husband was dimming the lights um, outside a little bit more and more each day. Um, And I say outside, I don't even know if that's true. There were some lights, (laughs) and the husband was dimming them little more each each and every day and the wife kept saying you know is it dark in here is it 
is it getting darker? And he would just say, no, what are you talking about? And no, are you crazy? Like basically just, you know, it's lying. It's causing her to doubt her own reality. It's kind of playing off um, this thing that's actually happening and that he is the cause of, but making her feel crazy until there's absolutely no light. And he was convincing her that it was all in her head and that she had made it up kind of thing. I don't know if that helps or confuses. Sometimes when I explain that story to people, they are more confused. But <laughs> hopefully it makes sense what gaslighting is. Um, so how to overcome being gaslit. Um, I think it is a little bit of everything that I've talked about already um, in healing process and just really starting with the knowledge of what it is just like spiritual abuse is naming it and um, kind of bringing it into light to show what it is will cause it to lose the power that it has over you it's basically a tactic um, often used by narcissists and manipulators and yes spiritual abusers alike and I had I guess for a further example that might be more understandable as I definitely had that happen to me in my abuse situation where the pastor and I would have um, one-on-one meetings at a public coffee shop and, you know, we're in public, but we're only having conversation that the two of us can hear. So he would tell me all kinds of things um, that I would then bring up in later conversation with other people around and he would say, I never said that or, you know, just completely doubt, um, or deny the things that he definitely said to me, but I didn't have any other witness to prove it. And, you know, when there's a leadership dynamic too, it's like, oh, well, who's he going to, who's everyone else going to believe like the pastor or this person who's beneath him technically in a spiritual authority. Um, so that definitely was not fun. So obviously it makes you feel crazy. It makes you doubt yourself, especially when there's cycles of this repeated over and over again. Um, and it makes others look at you like you also can't be trusted, even though you're the victim of that. And the person who can't be trusted is the one convincing them that you can't be trusted. Um, so anyway, it's horrible. It's not a fun time, um, but to overcome it, I, I'm not sure if the question was intended to ask um, after it's happened, how do you overcome that, or in the moment, how do you overcome that? I think in the moment, you just stand firm on what you know is truth, and it's just a confidence, and just kind of realizing, like I said, that, oh, I know what this is, I know what this tactic is, and I'm not going to fall for it, I'm um, I'm just going to keep this in, in my my pocket and realize this is this person's true colors being shown um and then in if it's something that's happened to you in the past I think it's just it's similar to the healing process for everything I've talked about like I said you know naming it addressing it forgiving the person you, you know yes even people who intentionally have harmed and manipulated and gaslit us we do need to forgive them not for their not for their sake but for ours for healing and moving forward and um 
just not becoming bitter. And, um, but yeah, I think just, I feel like I've been repetitive to keep going back to, it all comes back to healing your relationship with the Lord and rebuilding that firm foundation of faith in the word of God and just being able to stand on that and say, you know, I know whose I am. I know who I am and I know what is true and what is not true. And I don't need to deal with someone who makes me feel like, um, I'm crazy or that I'm a liar when I know I'm not or who makes me look bad in front of others, that kind of thing. How to overcome it, I believe, is just not giving in to that drama and that tactic and just realizing that if someone does that to you, it just is showing their true colors and you don't need to, um, you don't need to deal with that. And yeah, if it's the kind of thing where you feel like they have unintentionally done it and you can you feel like you can safely say like I feel like you're gaslighting me right now and and have that conversation, then definitely do that. Maybe it'll be a misunderstanding sometimes, but I think in general gaslighting is usually very intentional. Um and uh it's probably a just huge red flag. So Well, I think that is pretty much all for today's episode. I appreciate you all sticking with me through this one. I know it was kind of jumping around everywhere, but I wanted to get in um, some of that Q&A. There's some of those questions that I've gotten um, a couple of times. So if I get additional ones, maybe I'll do this again. But in general, I am um, just thankful that you guys are here listening to this. I hope that it brings you hope and some clarity and that God uses it for um, just moving you forward in the next step towards your healing or even understanding what someone else may be going through and just kind of softening your heart towards them. Um, I am excited to continue this conversation um, in the future and also to have some new topics coming soon and some new interviews coming soon. Remember, if you haven't downloaded it yet, you can go to my Instagram profile at Alicia Bravely to click the link in the bio and download a um, Google Doc of free resources um, regarding spiritual abuse. It's just a great document with a bunch of different links to send to anyone you may want to give some resources to around this subject who might be walking through it themselves or maybe you're trying to help them to understand what it is that you've been dealing with Um, and I just think it's a it's a good resource to have so um, do that if you have not yet and um, if you have not yet left a review on Apple Podcasts I would appreciate it if you did Um, it just helps more people to find this podcast and um, lets me know how you are enjoying it. So again, thank you guys so much for being here and I hope you have a great few weeks. I'll talk to you next time.